Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 20. Thread is God's Word, tying together all the pieces of your life as a person living a life of ministry, whether it's informally or as a vocation. In Season 3, we're moving through the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Let me encourage you to click the button in the show notes that says subscribe. If you do that, It'll send a new podcast to you automatically every time they're released, even if your iTunes, even if iTunes or your podcast player, you know, hasn't even updated things yet. It'll take you straight to it. This is our third lesson about money from Second Corinthians chapter eight, verses eight through fifteen, and I just think it is such a practical teaching, and it's got some angles to it that you know you might not have thought of. It sure got me thinking at a, at a little different level about some things. Let me just give you a quick little uh, backup. Episode 18 was about uh, the need to change perspectives. If we're going to be uh, an agent of God in the world, we're going to have to change our mindset and stop posturing inside our head as being a person in need uh, who lives in a world of lack. And you've got to change your mindset to believe I am a member of the royal family I live under the protection and provision of the creator of heaven and earth. And, and this is really important, he has chosen me to be a source of blessing for hundreds of other people. You can't lose that last side. It's not just I live under protection and provision, you know, lucky me. It's there's a reason for this. He has chosen to change me from being a person in need to being a person who helps meet the needs of other people. And there is one line in this book that kind of summarizes everything about kingdom ministry, and it's just four little words, yet making many rich. Yet, you know, it means like I've got my own struggles in life. I'm trying to deal with my own stuff, yet I am making many rich. You know, I make many other people rich because of just get near me and I will think of how I can build you up because that's a ministry mindset. And once you step out of the center of your world and stop being the center of your own attention and make others the center of your own attention. Now, some people say, no, it ought to be God. Actually, this is how you worship God, because God doesn't need anything from us. People need it. So as in the case of Jesus, he says, did you visit me in prison? And they're going, "Ah, I I would have, but you weren't in prison. He said, yes, I was. When you visit others in prison, you're visiting me. And it's like this indirect way of loving God. So if I want to bless the Lord and give to the Lord and love the Lord, I really can't do that directly. I have to do it indirectly. It's kind of like a, uh, you know, like a bounce pass. Uh, I have to love somebody else, and God takes it and credits it as loving him. So I need to change my mind and stop always being about, oh, God, help me, help me, and start going, I'm already helped. I'm fixed. I mean, I'm in a, a new status with God that makes me now his source to other people. I'm here to help them, and my needs will be met. So just focus on other people. Make many rich. Okay, the second thing we learned was in episode 19, and this is like a, a whole new thought. Of, anyway, let me, let me jump into it. We learned in that lesson about this phrase. It's, it's a beautiful phrase, the poverty of Christ. You know, Jesus wasn't poor. He was, as Paul tells us in verse 8 of this chapter, chapter 8, 
he was rich. He was crazy rich. He's God rich. And yet he became the lowest form of poor. And he did it, you know, not just to see what it would be like. He did it for a purpose. And that purpose was so we might become rich. And it, you know, there's lots of re- things that this means. And of course, we've got all our spiritual blessings and all that. But the simplest meaning of rich is materially. This is a passage about material provision. And we need to just like, don't think about the other part of this yet until you get this point, because you're going to miss it. And it's a really big point. Christ becoming poor for us allows us to change places with him and enter into his permanent state of guaranteed provision. You got to let this sink in. When we enter into Christ, God hooks us up to two separate financial systems. First of all, it's the normal money system, the system that operates through the whole world and provides for everyone in this planet, material goods, food, exchange of services. That system is because of God's hand on it, you know, because really the default state of the universe, according to Genesis 1-1, is chaos, formless sucking chaos that dissolves everything and destroys it. It takes the active hand of God to not let chaos destroy everything. You know, people are trying to push God away all the time, you know, get away from us. We want to be the God. If he ever takes his hand off of this planet, it's powder. I mean, everything in the universe is working to destroy, but his hands are around it. So, you know, God being good, He's got the whole world on a money system, and it's fairly predictable. The system is built, according to the book of Proverbs, on a reliable, more or less, because Proverbs is not, uh, you shouldn't take Proverbs as a, uh, this is a law book, because Proverbs is a part of three wisdom, you know, big books, and you got to deal with Ecclesiastes. Anyway, I can't get into all this, but the point is, it's not a flawless system, but it is a predictable system and it rewards hard work. It rewards smart work. It rewards you when you network, when you keep your promises and you build trust. It rewards you when you plan. It rewards, you know, all these good human traits that all of us will do well to develop. These are the traits that will prosper you in the normal money system of the world. And God's grace is on us as a people to help us prosper, and I believe that Christians generally do. I don't believe, name it, claim it, but I'm talking about a general system of provision that God has established. Christians around the world in, in nation after nation, we generally do prosper if we follow the teachings of Jesus because, uh, you know, I'm like I said, I'm a career missionary. I've done relief kind of work and dealt with the poor and with people moving out of poverty all of my life. And we've got a phrase for this. It's called redemption and lift. You can either, you know, dump billions of dollars into trying to rescue a country, and it never works. It's just money into a black pit. Or you can do the work where it needs to happen, and we take the gospel in. It gets into the lives of people. It changes them from the inside. You stop drinking your life away. You stop fornicating your life away. You start focusing your energies. You're serving God. You go to work to be a good worker now because you want to be a light and your, you know, your boss sees you and you get promoted and people respect, you know, it just, it it lifts you. It may take time, 
But if you go to a place where the gospel has really entered into a community and you just keep going back to visit, go check them out. Ten years later, look at what it is. You know, I, uh, I spend a lot of time up in the mountains of Thailand, a hill tribe community, and every year more of their houses switch from being you know, straw and grass and uh, bamboo and they replace it with concrete floors and block walls and sealed windows. And it's just every year I'm watching it happen to them. There's no welfare system, and they're at the very bottom of the food chain as far as the culture goes. But yet, they're following those good patterns of living. And uh, because of that, they're building life. Now, that's the normal money system. That's one of two systems that we're hooked up to. And so that one typically works, but sometimes the money system does break down, and the economy shrinks or misfortune knocks you out of competition or – we go through a season of persecution and we lose everything, or we make a simple mistake, too much of a gamble on an investment, or we develop bad habits or a million other things can happen because the money system is at the mercy of a, a world of chaos. And sometimes the money system does not work. It, it's not sufficient. And then there's a second system. It's amazing. It's the life support system, the mana system. Now, you'll never get rich on the mana system. That's not its purpose. Actually, the mana system won't allow you to even have more than enough. What is, however, provided in the mana system is a promise of enough. You don't need more than enough. And the mana system says if the other systems break down, God kicks in a secondary system for you, and it will give you enough. You will survive because the Father is not going to let you uh, be outside of his covering. He is, he is there to be with you even in these times. You know, if you're walking with God in obedience, you can have the comfort of knowing that the manna system is out there for you as a safety net. And it's not a pipe dream. There are millions and millions of people around the world who have a clear testimony about supernatural provision that have ensured their basic life needs. So, you know, be courageous because if God calls you to do something for him and you know that's what he wants from you and you can't figure out how you're going to have money to live and support yourself or your family if you obey him and if you do exactly what he tells you to do, you know, there's the practical planning that you need to do on the money side. But if you're absolutely positive God is telling you to do it, there's the mana system, and it will kick in. I have had it happen to me. There's too many others that will tell this exact same story. Uh, I lived in the Philippines in, with my family in the 90s, and they had severe infrastructure problems. And we were without electricity in the worst of the summer, uh, probably 12 hours a day on minimum. And there was one place in my part of the city that I knew if I could just get there, and it was this hotel. And uh, if the whole city went blackout, this hotel had a backup generator, and it kicked on, and it had more than enough. It could, you know, they had air conditioning, refrigerators kept working. It, it was the, the place you could run to. You know, MANA is not a primary support system. But it is an always-on backup system, 24-7, and it can run, as Paul reminded the Corinthians through the story of Israel in the wilderness, 
The MANA system can work flawlessly every single day for 40 years without stopping if it has to. We never need to worry about provision if we're obeying God's instructions on our life. The MANA system is based on grace, and it's there to build trust. It's not there to build wealth. It's there to build trust so you know God is present and he's taking care of your needs. Okay, sorry, but that... It's good stuff, you know. That's our background for this lesson. Now, this lesson is about how those two truths, you know, changing your posture from a needy person to a giver uh, to a source, and secondly, knowing that God has you on two separate sources of income. This lesson is about how those two truths ought to change the way you live because you are God's ambassador in this world and you're his children living in a foreign land. And since all of us have this eternal allowance from God to live on, he's going to give us food every day. He's going to open up chances in the money economy, and also man is going to be there for us. It ought to really make us different. You know, our money thinking should not be like people in this world. And I've got some friends that are just, uh, I have lots of friends actually that are beautiful giving heroes to me. And Cherry and I have, um, you know, in the early days of our of our life, we weren't even married yet. And this man came to our church, and he uh, challenged everybody. You know, on the one, he's assuming, and he said that in a sermon, I'm assuming that you're paying tithes. And secondly, well, let me say now, if you hear noises around near an airport, so I can't do anything about that. Um, he said, I'm assuming you're paying tithes, but I want to challenge you to put aside another 5% to give away as God instructs you. Give it to missions. Give it to people in need. Just set up a pot of money that is 5% of your income, extra money, just to give it away so you can be a generous person. Well, you know, that was kind of the beginning of thinking about myself as a potential giver. But, you know, we've got friends who we have one set of friends, and they live on about 10% of their income. And they just give the rest away every year as their business grows and Everything gets bigger. They don't change their lifestyle. They've picked a number. That is how much they need to live, and they, when they hit that amount, everything else is going to go away. And, uh, and they don't even, like, like, dump it on their kids so that as adult kids, you know, they've got these big uh, money pots for them because they said, right, we don't want to kill them. You know, we want them to have their own drive and ambition, and we want them to do what we did and have the kind of heart that we have about all this. And we don't want to corrupt them through money. So they just, they just give it away year after year after year. It's amazing. Which leads me to this question. If all of us are promised a daily airdrop of everything we need for food, shelter, and clothing, then why don't all Christians give at Olympic levels? You know, why isn't every Christian an amazingly soft touch about major donations that we just we live to give well i got three reasons that come to me first one is we like to think that we do a lot of people really believe that they are big givers and there's nothing if they really at the end of the year added it all up it's not exactly the way they might think in their mind but they think they're big givers or secondly they intend to give they don't actually give but they intend to give it's a it's an idea in their mind. It's a value, you know. It's a, you know, it's one of those kind of things that they they say they they believe in and they really intend to do it, but they just don't exactly get around to it. And that's the third thing. They might 
they might intend to give, but they procrastinate. And they just don't ever actually write the check. They don't actually set up the monthly donation. They don't actually, you know, give their stuff away. And, um, and that's the Corinthian problem. Uh, all three of them, actually. But Paul is here today in our passage to address problem number three, procrastination. And uh, the Corinthians are confusing all of this planning and intention and talking about giving and goal setting about giving. They're confusing all of that, uh, you know, buzz with the reality of giving. Uh, I was talking to a friend about all this, you know, yesterday, and he said, he kind of sat back and he said, I think I'm a Corinthian. You know, I think a lot of us are. But I've got another friend, and he's a refugee. And he hasn't owned very much in his whole life, but he found Christ in the strange land he ran away to. And God has provided for him pretty much with daily manna for most of the last 20 years. And lately, he even got to buy his very first piece of property, and it felt so good to him. And as he was celebrating owning this property, God spoke to him and said, I want you to give this property away to this person. And so, you know, of course, he's in a dilemma now. There's this war in his mind between these two systems. And he has to decide which one he's going to trust. You know, is he just going to think like the world or is, is his mind different from the people of this world? And we were talking about this and he told me, he said, you know, we live in a world where people love to have dual citizenship. They like having two passports, two different countries that they pledge allegiance, you know, to both of them. And he said, I only now realize with this land thing that even as a Christian, I still approach business and money through a dual citizenship. On one side, I trust God to provide. But when it comes to a real decision about money, I can very easily think just like the world does. But then he said, but if I live by the money system, then I'm bound to the money system. He didn't want to be like that. Two silos. You know, two, like a whole category in your mind that's about, oh, that's money. That's not related. You know, and then there's my whole Bible, church, hallelujah side. Two silos, and that's the Corinthian problem. So let's jump into this. Verse 10, Paul writes to them, and he says, If you guys just understood what the poverty of Christ has provided to us, you would be able to see that it is actually experienced. That means it's to your advantage and you urgently need to do it. You're like, take advantage now. It is expedient that you break through your mental money issues and you join in the Lord's work as an active giver. Paul says, this is my advice to you guys. Because the Corinthians are doing all right financially. And they've, anyway, we'll get into their whole, what they're thinking about their giving. But they're not giving. They're just thinking. And Paul says, if you just understood what the poverty of Christ means to all of us, you would understand you need to give. It's expedient that you give. So I want to I bounce through a five things we're going to learn about living abundantly through the poverty of Christ. Living abundantly through the poverty of Christ. Number one, giving is an essential part of living under this system of abundance. If you're going to live at this at this level, with God hooking you up on right and left sides to two different money lines, it's about giving. He's giving to you so you can learn to be a giver too. Jesus said, give and it will come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. 
He said, men will heap to you. So it's a worldly, it's a worldly system about money. But he said it, it, it functions out of giving because that's how it all got started. God gives to the world. He does it every single day. He gives blessings. He gives rain. He gives it. If people hate him, he still gives it. He's a giver and he wants us to be givers. So giving, that's the first lesson. Giving is an essential part of living under a system of abundance. We receive all this stuff from God without paying for it. And just like forgiveness, when we receive it, we become part of the system of giving it. So if you receive forgiveness, then you need to give forgiveness. Even if the other person doesn't apologize, you give it anyway. If you receive food, you need to give food. If you receive money, you need to give money. If you've received a job, as soon as you're able, you need to give a job. Share your provisions with other people. That's how this system works. And the more you share, the larger your stake in this system grows because God wants to find people he can trust with material things. That's your first lesson. It works through giving. Second lesson, giving is supposed to be, this is in verse 10, giving is supposed to be an ongoing action. Here was the Corinthian problem. They're thinking about giving, but giving isn't mental. It's not a concept. It's an action. The Corinthians simply weren't giving. They were planning on giving, and they wanted to give this big, impressive gift. They had announced that they were going to give this big gift. We're going to do this huge thing for our brothers in Jerusalem who are suffering deep poverty. And they had sort of set this massive goal. And I don't know if they had picked a number or what they had done, but they had set some kind of a goal, and it was a big public thing, and they were strategizing, and they were thinking about it, and they were thinking about it, and they were thinking about it, and a year went by. I mean, these people have needs now, and Paul writes him to say, quit thinking about it. Stop intending to do it. Stop being willing to do it. Just give. Give out of what's in your hand today. Giving is supposed to be an ongoing action. Don't, don't like set this massive one day, you know, I'm going to give the Lord this. Don't, that'd be great. I hope you do. But you need to give today and give tomorrow and give the next day. It's an action. It's supposed to be habitual. It's supposed to be something we just naturally do. Third lesson we learn is in verse 11. The, uh, I love this one. I hope this sinks down because I think this is so cool. The ability to give is birthed through the possession of property. I want to say it again. The ability to give, the ability to be a giver, is born through the possession of property. If you don't possess property, you can't be a giver. You can only give what you own. Your chance to become a giver starts only when God places something in your hands and that thing is yours. It has to be yours and it has to be givable. You know, if your car's mortgage, you can't give it away because it belongs to the bank. God doesn't expect us to set some big number and then borrow money and pay that number off. That's not how giving works. He will put things in your hands. And when he puts something in your hands, that's yours. You know, I'm right now talking to you and I'm looking into my computer and I'm talking over a microphone that I bought is sitting on a tripod. All this stuff is mine, and if I want to, I can walk outside and hand it to whoever's walking by the hotel door and say, hey, you want my computer? I have the power to do that. 
God has made me able to be a giver by giving me material things in my hands. And he's going to do that. He's going to put things in our hands. And the minute they go in our hands, it's ours. We can keep it or we can give it. It's totally up to us. We have the freedom. But thank God, because we're, we're in this new world that he's brought us in, like Barnabas, we have the freedom to enjoy possessions but live free from those possessions and to see these possessions as our empowerment to become a big person that we can give these possessions to other people and we can better their lives. You know, I just flew in. I'm actually in Bangkok right in, uh, in a hotel near the airport. And I've been in Manila this week, and one of my favorite things about our ministry that we connect with in Manila is uh, Sidewalk Sunday School. And we have leaders there, and they are ministering to some of the poorest people that you'll ever meet, and they themselves don't make much money either. Uh, and uh, a couple of trips ago, uh, when we were swinging through there, two of these leaders, we just wanted to bless them. And we took a certain amount of money, and we gave it to them, and we said, look, this is yours. Don't put it in the ministry. We're giving to the ministry. We want to give something to you. And we gave to these two workers, and uh, it, you know, it was, I don't know, $200, $300. And we just said, we just want you to go and spend this money. And... Um, because they are Christian grown-ups, you know. What happened was we put property in their hands. And they, before the sun went down, they had with great delight uh, gone and given that money away to other needs. And they got to be the one who walked up and met that need because it was their money. You know, if they wanted to give it away to somebody else or spend it all on uh, you know beauty shop treatment or buy themselves something expensive. It was their money. So when God gives you property to possess, it's yours. You can do what you want with it. But that's when you get your chance to become a giver. Number four, the first step to entering this whole new position and ongoing ministry of giver, it starts not in the wallet. It starts not with your possession. Paul says it starts in the mind. It has to flow from within that internal monologue that's going on in our head. It starts with how we think about money and whether we truly believe we have enough, whether we believe we have more than enough so we can share. And Paul calls this mental state a willing mind. It is your will to give. Now, without a willing mind... Paul, he teaches us in verse 11, no gift is acceptable to God. Even if you give the gift, but you give it without a willing mind, it's not an acceptable gift to him. I had somebody in in a church I planted once uh, come to me, and it was a house church, and we were growing, and this person came, and he, he, he brought an old speaker system. And he said, you know, you know, we've had these speakers in my house for years and years and years, and they're... They're okay, but they're not so great. And then, but this week I went and bought myself some great ones, and I just thought, you know, I'm going to give my I'm going to give my old speakers to the to the church. So here I brought them, and I told him as nicely as I could that we really didn't want it, and that he needed to just keep it. And he was shocked. And I said, you know, we can't give God our junk and keep the good stuff for ourselves. If you want to give, then really give. 
But if you're not sure about giving, then just don't give yet. Just give what you feel, you know, but it's God you're giving to. And, uh, and he was out of a background where you kind of tip God. And uh, kind of like those people that sent missionaries uh, tea bags after they used them. And I was like, oh, the missionaries will be so appreciative because, you know, they might could squeeze more tea out of these tea bags. It's like, keep your junk. You know, if you're going to give something, give something good. David said, you know, I can't give God junk. I'm not going to give free stuff to God. I'm going to pay for it. And the person actually came back um, a little bit later. They came in with brand new speakers and a big smile. And they said, I was wrong. And I said, this feels right, doesn't it? He said, yeah, this feels really good. You know, until your heart is willing, God doesn't want it. Give what you want to give, but make up your mind to keep watering that seed of generosity and make it grow. Uh, Verse 8 says, giving can't, it's for this reason. Verse 8 says, giving can't be commanded. If it's commanded, it's not giving, it's taxation. Paul writes, if you, you know, that's what he's telling them. He said, I'm not saying all this as a commandment to you. You have to give the Jerusalem church some relief money. He said, I don't want it to be that way. It can't work like that. Uh, Frankly, if you don't want to tithe, don't tithe. But choose some percentage out of a willing heart, even if it's only 5%, do something. But take it out of every cent you get. If it's your birthday money, money you find on the street, take that money and set it aside and do it first and then give it secretly to the Lord just between the two of you and learn to love that moment of giving to the Lord. I remember when our kids were little and we were starting to let them have their own money. And the first thing we're teaching them is about tithing. And Kristen, as a kid, I remember she was scandalized when we told her this, the system of tithing. And she could not believe that God would be, would even receive 10%. It's like, you're kidding. That's it? One-tenth? I mean, almost no Christians tithe. Uh, it is such a low percentage practice. But it just tells us What's about our heart? You know, what's in our heart? We're living under God's abundant grace, and we can't come up with 10% and put him first in that. So I don't know. I've been tithing since I was 14 years old. I just can't imagine living and not at least meeting that standard. Verse 13 and 14 is a whole new idea that comes in, and it, it would be worth a whole podcast, but I have to think about it because this is totally contrary to all Western economic practice. Verse 13 and 14, Paul says, God cares about equality. This is the fifth lesson. Jesus became poor so we could all benefit. God cares about material equality. And we're going to have to open our minds to this a little bit and see things a little wider than we normally do because the natural response of the early church, they were as close to the source, you know, of the doctrine and the experience of being with Jesus and the experience of the Holy Spirit outpouring and their natural response when they were born again and filled with the Spirit was to start sharing their stuff so that everyone in the group could have enough. Barnabas started this whole new trend. He went out and sold his property. I mean, it's property. It's so hard to get. He sold it, gave it money to the apostles, and said, share it with anyone who's needy in the group. And everyone was astonished 
at how the grace of God was working among humans in such a freeing way. You know, they didn't just say Barnabas for president. It was like, wow, that is exactly how we're supposed to live. You know, we talk a lot about equality these days, but I don't think most of us really want equality. We want our advantage because this is a competitive world, and we want to win. And some people are going to lose so that others can win in the business world. And this is going to mean lack for some families and extra for other families. And the law of Moses in the Old Testament, it had these provisions in the law that were awesome in this regard. God leveled the wealth in society every 50 years with the year of Jubilee. All debts were canceled. All property that was mortgaged was given back to the people who had to borrow the money against it. And what this did was to stop the snowball of inherited wealth and the injustice of generational poverty where you are so far behind and you can't ever catch up because of the way the money system works. And today, this is pretty relevant because we're moving into perhaps the greatest concentration of wealth in the hands of the fewest people that the world has ever known. There are millionaires and billionaires around the world building near monopolies because of the massive shifts in wealth that have been made possible through the rise of technology. And we haven't seen anything yet. You know, Technology is going to replace the jobs of most people uh, in the future, especially if it's just like unskilled labor, lower class, lower middle class. Those jobs are so at risk because te- most stuff can be done by bots, and technology is going to replace so much work. The good news is, Because of God's generosity, there is abundant provision on earth. There's enough for everyone. And we've learned that we can actually grow more food in a smaller place than ever before. You know, we've got new concepts about housing. We've got cheaper but stronger building materials. All of it's just getting better and better and better. You know, God has provided all that we need for everyone in this world to have what they need, just not just to survive, but to thrive. But... The distribution of this abundance, it is in the hands of those who currently possess it. You know, if you've piled up tons of stuff, it's your stuff. And it's you have the authority and the ability to help spread this around and find a way to share the wealth. Uh, One of the things that Paul is saying, and he continues to say it, Uh, in these passages to the wealthy, smug Corinthian Christians who are dragging their feet about giving up some money for their dirt-poor brothers in Jerusalem who are suffering famine and persecution. And Paul tells them that God has already given them enough to live on, enough to share, and he reminds them that although today they're on top of the world, life has a way to cycle down, and the ups go down and the downs go up. And one day he tells them, They just might be in need of help. Now, it seems impossible to envision that when you're on top of things. But these reversals do happen. They happen in most of our lives. Uh, I know a man who's a genuine billionaire, like a kind of man that streets are named after him and his family. And he, he, I don't know, he's just that kind of tremendous power in his nation. But he fell and broke his neck and was paralyzed from the neck down. And I heard him say, I used to sort of command armies, and now I'm strapped to the toilet, and I have to call for help to get off. 
And then they put me in my diaper. And it's like, well, you just can't believe the way life can reverse on you. Community is such a beautiful thing in so many different ways. But this one aspect about community sharing provision, it can even preserve our physical survival. You know, if every member of a group sees themselves as part of a tribe and shares their resources freely, they can expect to receive help in their day of need. And Paul tells the Corinthian church about this. You know, you're helping them, but don't think they won't help you when you're in trouble one day. You know, if you build a relational coalition to deal with life together, you're going to be so much stronger than you'll ever be if you think you can go it all alone. And that's been the wonderful thing in my life because I've lived most of my life in Asia, and Asia gets it. They do things as a group. So the poverty of Christ has come to set us free so we can live in abundance and learn to use God's abundance to freely bless the earth. We can learn to love giving our things away because God is going to drop off some of his wealth at our house every day. We can use some of it and we can give the rest away. And then the next day, he's going to restock us. And what a cool way to live. We can trust, obey, rest, and share. Hey, meet me this week in the Facebook group and let's discuss that. The Facebook group is called Thread with Chuck Quinley. And let's talk about these many lessons that we're learning from the wonderful treasure of second corinthians well that's all for now if you're enjoying thread how about sharing the podcast with your friends using the buttons in the player on your screen so this week expect god to use you you're the light of the world 